In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. I think that the problem is there's no social mobility. So we have a tiered system. And when there's no social mobility, you have chaos because you, there's nowhere to go. You have this fictitious idea of social mobility. You have the metaverse where you can kill dragons and get golden coins, but you're still living. Your your real living standards are declining. But yeah, I yeah. think that there's different ways to structure society. And it's never been easier. Like I'm, I'm living proof that it's never been easier to reinvent yourself than it is right now. Like just I'm talking to you in Bali right now. And, you know, I've learned so much talking to you and like, you've written an awesome book. You, you have an amazing story. You've toured all over the world and you, you are living a life that most people would dream of, man. You're living in paradise and crushing it. And that it's possible for people to do, right? Like other people could do what you do. Right. Oh yeah. And there's no rocket science behind it. It's a decision away, really. <laughs> right. It takes courage though. Like you've got, you've got to decide. Yeah. Everything is a decision away. And maybe for some people it's going to take more pushing to get there. But you know, sometimes you get to this, this point where you're like, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Fuck it. Or I'm sick and tired of doubting myself. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. And then, once you go for it, it works out. And I think Terrence McKenna has got a great quote where uh, I'm going to butcher it because he's got so many great quotes and I'm not going to do it any justice. But he says, you know, people are, people are living in fear to take the, the leap and falling into the abyss. But when they take the leap, they find out there's no abyss, but it's a feather bed because <laughs> uh, life supports courage. Yeah. And there's some um, other saying by like some Buddhist monk, I think he was, and it's a similar thing. It's he's you're afraid to take the leap on, to fall to the ground, but then only to discover that there is no ground. That you just mm. keep falling and falling and falling, and then you surrender and you're free like that. You're flying. So yeah, it's you know it really is that. It's that simple. I mean, it's not easy, but it's that simple. Like just decide what you're going to do it, and you do it, and see what happens. Roll the dice, and if it doesn't work out, you learn something, and maybe it'll take you somewhere else. 
And um, I've, I've just done this so many times that I don't, I don't think about anymore how for many people that's very hard to do it the first time because the first time I did it was so long ago. And then every time you do it after that, you make a move, you change countries, it just gets easier. But I don't want to believe, I don't belittle anybody who's thinking about doing that and thinking it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah, I get it. To, to totally start over and leave behind everything, you know, and go into mm. a strange place with no job, new job. That's it's, it's hard the first time, but you can do it. Like anyone can do it. You know, it's so amazing to me because I, I, Almost everybody I've been talking to, Kevin, has, I never really put it together, but everybody, almost everybody I've talked to has the story where they just picked up, they left everything they've known and started over and they've become mm. better when they did it. You know, I, I almost think that that's the recipe. I almost think the recipe that like re, I guess it kind of, maybe there's a third death. Maybe there's another death and you're mm. reborn when you decide to pick up and leave your old self and become your new self. Yeah. If that's the case, I've lived 10 lives then because I've already <laughs> done it. I've done it like seven times now, I think where just, just pick a new country and, and go there. So yeah, for me, it's just not, I don't even think about it too hard anymore. What is that? So can you run me through like a, like that process? Like you get, you're in this country and then you're like, you know what? I, 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 I think I'm going to go check out ball or I think I'm going to go check out this other country. Like what, what leads up to you right. deciding to do that? Well, we touched on it in one of the podcasts before where I talked about the heart attack story and how that yes. propelled me to go through the study abroad. Yeah. So it kind of all started with that. I didn't have any desire to travel particularly until I got to Spain and I really integrated with the people there. I had a host family I lived with. I'm still in touch with them 20 years later. In fact, I just visited them back in May. They really are kind of like my adopted family. I pretty much became bilingual because I fully immersed myself in Spanish. I was living with Spanish people. I did yeah. courses in Spanish and I got a job and all my coworkers are Spanish. And that's sort of, you sort of take on that. You almost take on a new identity when you do that. Because when you speak in a different language, you actually think differently too. Right. And it changes your thought patterns because your thoughts are limited by your vocabulary. And now you've got this yep. whole other set of of vocabulary and culture and idioms and expressions that you have at your disposal. And it's weird to say, but I have different personalities in different languages. Some person, some languages like my personality better. Sometimes I don't like it as much like my German personality. I don't like, I don't think I'm cool in German at all, but I prefer it much. I think I feel good in Spanish. You know, I don't like, I don't like myself in French, for example. So that was what really started everything. And then the Japan thing, uh, so I went back to school after Spain. I finished my coursework and then I worked this terrible job for about nine months in Newburgh, New York, um, which I was so miserable. It was like the most, it was the worst <laughs> job I ever had. I hated it. It was doing people's tax returns in a mall for like an H&R block type thing. And um, I was dealing with like, sounds insulting but sort of like the bottom rungs of society uh, were pretty much 90 percent of the people i dealt with and there are all, all kinds of uh things that i learned about our systems uh, through that mm, job i bet one of them being that it's if you're on welfare at least in the state of new york it's almost impossible to get off of it mm. and there are a lot of people um the sort of freedom you know, no government side that belittle people that accept welfare it's like i would never do that i wouldn't take handouts 
believe me, there are some people, there are some people that want that and they'll live off the system, but the majority of them, they, they fell into it. You know, tragedy struck, they had to, and they can't get off of it. They cannot pay their bills without it because you go, you went from like, I know people that were making 15, $20,000 a year with two kids and getting all these benefits and for them to have the equivalent salary and have the same lifestyle, they have to make $60,000, $70,000 once you take off all the taxes and, and things that they have to pay. And somebody who's making fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 working probably minimum wage isn't overnight going to get a $70,000 know, a year corporate gig because you've got to go back to school. You've got to retrain. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to do that if you got kids and all these responsibilities? It's very, very difficult. So I saw, I opened my eyes to a lot of that stuff and I kind of saw what was wrong with at least the U.S. system, a lot of the things. And I just wanted to get the hell away from that. Like I went to school there. Uh, I was just sick of it. And I found this opportunity to go to Japan that was run by the Japanese government for a job that will place you in a school as an assistant English teacher. And it was they usually send you very, very remote locations, like out in the countryside where there's no other foreigners and there's only a few other people at all. And so it's, it sounds on paper, you're like, why would you do that? You're going to go to some very foreign, Japan is one of the most foreign countries I've ever been to. They are very different, very different. And yeah, so they, they sent me out into, into the sticks there uh, pretty much with, I had some support because it was through this, government organized program but basically not not really i had a guy who was a supervisor but he didn't want to do his job so he just kind of set me on my, my way and there was a lot of hilarious miscommunication stories that happened because <laughs> his boss thought he was telling me things that he wasn't and so on uh, <clears throat> and then um and i had no choice in my mind but I, I had to learn japanese because i had no idea what was going on in the world no one spoke English other than a handful of English teachers there. And it was, it took a year, I think, until I could kind of get the gist of the morning staff meetings. But for that entire year, I had no idea what was going on. And I just wanted like, and I liked being independent. So I'm like, I, I don't want to be able to rely, have to rely on a girlfriend right. or a friend every time I need to order a pizza. I yeah. wanted to be able to order my own damn pizzas to my house. So I just put my head down and I just, you know, I just, it really is just doing the work every day. And I did that every, I set little goals every day. I did a little bit, little bit. And then suddenly like a year in, I was like, wow, wow, I'm actually pretty, pretty comfortable uh, speaking and reading this. So that I really enjoyed that experience because it was so foreign. And the idea of reading symbols was also mm. very interesting to me. So I was like learning the symbols and trying to figure out a lot of them actually represent motions of things like the the thing for water looks like water flowing and some of the verbs for speaking have like a little square that mean mouth very primitively oriented if you can imagine a cave painting that evolved over millennia into a written form that's kind of what learning japanese is like and what learning chinese is like so i was very fascinated by the whole process of there and the culture it was very interesting and then i was there for two years and then this is another little funny life gives you uh, shows you the way story, where it was at the end of the two years, and I didn't know what to do next. 
I didn't want to, I didn't want to stay where I was. I was so bored. It was nothing to do there. It was a countryside. And the only place that you really had work was in someplace like Tokyo. And I was 10 hours drive from Tokyo. I'd never even been to Tokyo in the whole two years I was there. And to move there is also very expensive because you got mm. to put up a lot of money for this apartment. I didn't have that much money saved up. So I was in my mind, I was just thinking, where do I go? And I happened to meet someone who was living in Taiwan, teaching English there while I was on, maybe a few months before I was on a trip to Thailand and I talked to this person for a long time. So that was sort of in my mind as an option. And then about a month or two before I was supposed to leave Japan, I went to Okinawa on a trip. And when you, Okinawa is kind of like Hawaii, it's a Japanese Hawaii. So that's a chain of a bunch of small islands. They have one big island and then a couple smaller ones. And so you fly, well, I flew down to the southern part of Okinawa and there's all these little islands you can take ferries to. And some of them are longer trips. There's, I think we took one ferry that was maybe nine hours overnight from the main. Oh, wow. Naha, when you say Okinawa, people think Naha, that's like the main city. And then there's a, you can fly, but there's a, a ferry. Yeah, I think it was a nine hour ferry ride to another group of islands called Ishigaki-jima and then a few other nearby islands. And while I was on that ferry, I noticed that there was a route from Okinawa that went right to the town in Taiwan I was thinking about moving to. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I can just, I could take a boat there. <laughs> and then that was sort of how I decided to do that. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to Taiwan. And yeah. then I, I packed up everything that I could take with me. I think I had like two suitcases and my guitar. I had like pretty much all my possessions. And I'm like, man, this is, I thought it would be more romantic to take a boat trip. So <laughs> I, it took me two weeks to get there from where I was in Japan. Uh, I took these ferry trips and it was about, I want to say was, the first one was 24 hours. And then on the way I kept getting hold, held up by typhoons. So I took the first <laughs> trip, went by train to Southern Japan. And then I took a 24 hour. And even before I left the main Japan, Japanese Island, a typhoon came typhoon rabbit. I remember it was typhoon rabbit. And so I was holed up for three days in this um, place called Fukuoka. And then I was, and I was staying with a friend in this like tiny, tiny one, one room place and she was a sex worker so she worked like these strange hours she worked at, like some kind of a blowjob bar as she says as a receptionist but i don't really know for sure right so she, she worked like weirdest hours like 6 p.m to 6 a.m so i never even bar i would be like getting up and then she would be coming back right. from work and would sleep all so i was like sharing this little tiny room with her and she was nice enough to put me up and then um yeah, and then I finally was able to go, and I got to the main island, Okinawa, and I was supposed to take another one to this southern island, Okinawa, called Ishigaki, like I mentioned. Another typhoon hits, right? So then I'm in this, I was going to stay at this guest house for two days, ended up being a week. And uh, I met this dude, this Australian guy, who was a translator, and he was staying at the guest house, and he was also going to Taiwan, but he was going to another city from me. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going here, you're going there. And then, anyways, delayed a week, took the other ferry, which was... I think 15 hours to the southern no it was no it was like nine nine ten hours i mentioned it gets to ishigaki island and i probably landed there on like a wednesday or a tuesday and my ferry to my city was leaving on saturday so I was like this is perfect right um 
I got four, three, four days to chill here. And then, then I'm going to move on. And, um, Friday comes another typhoon. I think this is typhoon number three or four at this point, no boats leaving. Right. So they stop all the boats. And then I wait another week because they only did it once a week on Saturdays to this city. So I stayed another whole week and then I get, I go to leave. And then I, uh, it's funny because when you're getting on this boat, it's like immigration because once you exit the boat, you're in another country. So on this boat, they had their own little makeshift immigration office, this little desk. And I was leaving for good. And I gave him my passport and they're like, you're leaving for good. I said, yeah. And he's like, and I, I already um, gave my phone back by the way, cause I had a cell phone contract. So I didn't have a phone anymore. And he stamped my passport. He like canceled my visa. And then he's like, all right, now find your cabin. And I go to the cabin, settle in. And I think not even a half an hour goes by. And they're like, another typhoon. Sorry, we can't depart. You've got to get back to the land. And I was like, okay, great. So then I go back reverse through immigration. And he like cancels out the cancellation of my visa. <laughs> you know, so then I have a visa. And then... And then I'm just like dropped off at, uh, at the port, but I don't have a phone. Like I can't call anybody. Right. And then, so I end up meeting somebody, some random dude who a lot of times these guys, at the hostels, they'll go to the port and they'll try to pick up passengers to take them to the hostel. And there was a guy there and, uh, and I was like, okay, let's go. So I went with him. Turns out it's the same hostel. This Australian translator dude was staying at. Mm. And so I bump into him again. And then, so we spent another couple of days together and then I think Tuesday, I was just tired of waiting for, because it was only every Saturday. And then one that my Australian friend was going to was every Tuesday. So I was like, all right, there's only two or three days. I'll go with him. So we ended up going the same ferry together, and which was perfect for me because he knew Taiwan and he could get me around and figure out. And then finally, I was able to make it um, on the Tuesday. It was another 15-hour trip. And then we get to Taiwan, and um, I stay with him where he's staying a night or two. And I end up working with him later because he's a translator and I ended up getting into translation and we collaborated a bit on projects. And that was a really eye-opening thing for me at the time because I was like, oh, wow, you can, you can have this job with languages where, you know, you don't have to work anywhere. And he was just working from wherever and working as much as he wanted to and surfing oh, yeah. and stuff. I thought it was a cool lifestyle. Yeah. So that inspired me to kind of go there eventually. But yeah, then I ended up in Taiwan and that was it. I didn't know anybody. I stayed at some hostel. The only one I knew about literally I had written, I had copied the characters, the Chinese characters of the address onto a piece of paper. And I just got into a cab and I handed it to the driver because he didn't speak any English and I didn't speak Chinese. And he's like, okay. So he took me there. And I think within, within 10 days, I had already had a job. I found an apartment and I found my uh, my scooter, so nice. it was like really quick. Like once you once you get into it and you put your mind to it and you start looking for the things, they appear. And it was very quick. And I was you know, ended up meeting my my ex wife there and stayed for five years. So that was like one of the best experiences. Sorry, that yeah. was a long story. <laughs> no, dude, I, that was an awesome story, man. There's so much in there, like so much inspiration to be able to have the just track it down you go there things start happening on one level it made me think of the beginning of our conversation where you had asked at what point in time 
is the world telling you to stop? It sounds like all those typhoons, like you, you, know, you kind of make a choice, but you were already committed. So yeah, I had nowhere else to go at that point. I'm like, yeah. this is, I don't have a plan B at this stage. I, don't <laughs> have I, didn't have, I only had a few thousand dollars, you know? Yeah. It was either that or go, it was either that or go back to Newburgh, New York. And there's no way in hell I was going back home. <laughs> I could avoid it. Yeah. But yeah. That was, that was cool. And then, so that after that, it was easy. Like, I'm, you know, if I did that once in a totally foreign country where I don't speak a word of it and it worked, uh, that's sort of confidence building. You're like, oh, okay, I can I'd probably do this uh, again if I had to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it, I think it really helps. It, it gives you the confidence to know that you are quite capable of more than you even thought of. Like I can understand how for, for some people, for me, even it's like it's scary to go to a place where you don't know anybody you don't know the language and just decide i'm gonna i'm gonna make it here but i think a lot of people if they believed in themselves they could find out that they can make it like you're capable of so much more if you're willing to take that chance you know i when i moved to hawaii i did something similar right i sold everything i ever had and i condensed i thought i had a lot like i'm like oh, i got a nice car where'd you move from I moved from California, which is not, it's not across okay. the world, but you know, I, I was, I think I was 29 and I was working at UPS and I had put my name on a transfer list. And the only reason I even did it is because all the older guys did it. And I just thought it was a cool thing to do. Well, one day I was out working and my boss called me and he said, Hey, when you come back, I got to see you in the office. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, what did I do? Something crazy. What does this guy know about? Man? Did I do something bad. So I come back to the office my boss is like, hey, man, your transfer is up. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, you put your name on a transfer list to go to Hawaii. He goes, don't worry, no one ever goes. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to go. And he's like, wait a minute. He's like, do you Why know do anybody? No one goes. I would think. I know, right? Yeah. He goes, no one ever goes. And I'm like, I'm going to go. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, do you know anybody there? I'm like, no. He's like, you ever been? I'm like, no. He's like, dude, listen, you signed this thing, George. You got to be there in two weeks, man. Don't you have, a, don't you have like a house and a car and stuff? I'm like, yeah. He's like, what the? What are you do with that? I'm like, I'm going to sell it. He's like, dude, okay, you, look, you're a grown man, but if you sign this piece of paper, you're out of here in two weeks. I'm like, here, give me that paper. I signed it. And then like, I, it was, I remember it was on a Tuesday. It was Taco Tuesday because I went to go eat tacos with my parents. And I sat down. I'm like, yeah, mom, dad, I got some crazy news. They're like, what? I'm like, I'm moving to Hawaii. They're like, shut up. No, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be out here in a couple of weeks. They're like, what do you do with all your stuff? I'm like, I'm going to sell it. Like, you better get to work selling it. I'm like, yeah, whatever. So I remember I, I, the next day, you know, I started getting everything in order. And then on that Friday, I took all my clothes and all my shoes and I drove down to this the place where like a lot of the uh, migrant workers work. And I just opened up the back of my car. I'm like, hey, do you guys want some stuff? They're like, yeah, they're all stoked. They gave, all my, gave away all my clothes, gave away all my shoes. Uh, I sold my car. You know, I, I didn't own it. I was just making payments on it. I had like a, had a nice car, got rid of those payments. My, uh, I was renting a place. My sister took over the rent. And literally in two weeks, I went from having like a nice house, nice car, nice things to having two black bags and $2,000 and uh, kiss my family. I love you guys. It's going to be awesome, man. I get on the plane and I'm, I'm doing shots at tequila. I'm like, yeah, going to Hawaii, man. And it's I never exciting, forget man. it. Dude, I felt alive, man. I was like, dude, mm -hmm. I'm doing this thing, man. I've never been there. I'm going to crush it out there. And then when I landed... You know, I sat in the airplane terminal and I wasn't like crying, but 
dude, I, it just hit me. And I'm like, man, I didn't really think about this. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a place to stay. I don't know where my work is. I don't have a car. I don't know anybody here. I didn't, I didn't do any planning. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know where I'm going, dude. What, what kind of a dummy am I? I made a huge mistake. This is the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. Dude, I just sold everything. You know what? I mean, I sat in the airport for like a couple hours and just sat there like, what the fuck am I doing? Why did I do this? You know, and then after after you after I felt sorry for myself for a while, I'm like, there's no turning back, man. I gotta do something. So I, I remember I walked outside and I found a shuttle and I was like, hey man, I need to find a cheap place to a cheap place to stay, like in Waikiki or something. He's like, oh yeah, dude, I know, I know a spot. Jump on, dude. I'll take you there. So he takes me to a spot and it was like 40 bucks a night, like this roach motel, man. It was a bunch of hookers and stuff, you know, but I didn't know any better. I was still in Hawaii. It was pretty awesome. And I remember, I remember even though there was this feeling of dread, I remember like looking around and being like, dude, this place is so beautiful. It's so tropical. And there's this gorgeous woman over here. Like these people are smiling. And, and so the first day I came down and it was, uh, I looked around and I'm like, dude, this is amazing. I got on the bus and I found out where my work was like in, in grand scheme of things, I already had a job lined up. So it wasn't that bad. So I get on the bus and here, here kind of a humorous story. Like I, I get on the bus and I'm trying to find out where my work is. And I tell the bus driver, Oh yeah, I'm going to this spot. And Hawaii is the infrastructure is different. So I'm on this like four lane road that looks like a highway to me. It looks like a, a freeway in California. And the guy pulls over. He's like, okay, here's, you're going to, here's your stop right here. And I'm like, this fucking guy's dropping me off on the freeway, man. I bet you he hates white people. This, this guy probably hates white people. Drop me off on the freeway, man. You believe this? You know? <laughs> That's my dumb mind thinking that. But he wasn't dropping me off on the freeway. He was dropping me off on a transfer spot. And so I sat there, and then another bus came, picked me up, and I found out where my work was. I went there, shook hands with everybody. And they're like, all right, man, we need you here. You know, We need you here, not this week, but in three days, we're going to need you here. So I went back. I found out where it was. I went back to the hotel and then I went on Craigslist, found a room to rent from, it was like a pretty nice room, a bunch of Korean kids. It turned out to be like a poker house, which is a whole nother story. You guys playing poker all night, making money. And uh, I bought a moped, you know, and it, it's so amazing and so liberating to let go of all your attachments and realize like, you know, I used to have a navigator. Now I'm driving a moped and I'm living, I'm renting a room when I had my own spot and you know, I'll never forget. Like I, I had been here about a year and I was living with some younger kids driving this moped around and I meet this girl, that really attractive girl. Who's my wife now. And she was working at a, she was working in town and I pulled up and I'm like, this girl's beautiful. And we start talking a little bit and I ask her out, I get her phone number and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I got to ask her out and maybe we'll go do something. But you know, I'm like, it dawns, I'm, I'm getting ready to call her and ask her out. And it dawns on me. Like, Dude, I got a moped. I'm gonna, you know, I come from California where I got a nice car and, you know, I, I just felt like less than I did over there. And I'm like, this girl's, I'm going to tell her I have a moped. She's going to think I'm a loser. So I call her up because I got nothing to lose. She's an attractive girl. I'm a pretty attractive guy. You know, I figured I'll, just, I'll, I'll work something out. So I go, hey, what's up? It's nice to talk to you. You know, I, I was kind of hoping I could take you out, maybe grab some dinner, go to a show or something. And she goes, that would be great. What time are you going to pick me up? And I'm like, well, that's a funny thing you say that because I was kind of hoping you could pick me up. She's like, what? what are you talking about? I'm like, well, I just got a moped. And she just she just ices me. You have a moped? Really? 
you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm such a fucking loser. And I started thinking my mind. And she goes, yeah, of course I'll pick you up, you know? But it was just this, it was just this trick I played on myself. And it really helped me understand the hangups that I had with myself in life and thinking I needed all these things in order to be somebody. But it turns out I had to get rid of all those things to become who I am. And like, mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that story of having the courage to leave this life you think makes you something will, will in fact reveal to you that you're already something better. And I wish people could take that away. I, I think that there's so much there. that You're so much capable of so much more if you're willing to let go of these things that you think make you. Some of those things really might be making you worse, you know? But I, I, I love to hear stories like that. And I love to hear the story about going to different places out in the sticks and teaching people and learning from people. And it's such an amazing story, Kevin. I'm, I'm having a phenomenal time talking to you and I feel like I get to learn a lot when I talk to you and it's fun, man. Thank you for, for yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I, you have to remind like my problem is sometimes I've, is I've forgotten a lot of stuff. So that's why I like, these sort of formats like we'll talk about something and say, yeah. oh yeah i've got this memory of this story from before i totally forgot about it you know and she, yep. she's telling me that my my girlfriend's telling me all the time yeah hey, you should put some of this stuff down and i said the problem is i forgot so much of it yeah it's not in my i'm not thinking about it anymore but yeah like you you probably have all kinds of stories from that time the stuff that happened the transition on the way that will always be there and you can Anytime, reflect on those and and say to yourself, "Wow, I've done some, I've done some interesting things. I've had some adventures." Yeah, and you don't realize it's it's like you said, it's like a muscle. Like you said earlier, hey, look, the first time I did it, it was hard, but I do it so much now, it's like second nature, you know. And it's not yeah. until you reflect back on those stories like you did where you learn how you built that muscle. But and and another thing, you know what I really really hope, Kevin, I really hope that there's people that listen to this. And can go, yeah, you know what? I've I've done something similar to that. I bet you I could do that. Like to me, there's nothing better than being able to share something with someone and then having people go, hey man, thanks for sharing that with me. It helped me learn that thing, you know? Because I know I've had older guys and younger guys, I've had mentors in my life that shared stories with me that gave me the courage to like try something new. And to me, like that's yeah. what I want to be. I want to be someone that did something cool. And inspired someone to do something even cooler. You know what I mean? Like that to me is the way you make a better world is, hey, you can do this. You're capable of this. Or having a cool story and, and getting to help other people have even better stories. Which I think is what your book does, man. I see. I mean, I hope people take away the idea that you can just do it. And I see yeah, so many times I'm talking to people and they'll say, hey, I really want to do X. And what they're talking about doing isn't anything. They're not trying to build a rocket, but I, I, or I'll, I'll share a story with them. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds really great. I always thought about doing that. And I'm like, well, why don't you do it? Like, just do it. Yeah. And I remember back, back in, um, when I was back in New York, I was, I was speaking to a friend of my mom's and she was probably 70 ish. Mm -hmm. And I had just come back from Spain and she said, oh, wow, you were in Spain. Like, I've always wanted to go to Spain. And then I'm thinking to myself, you're 70 years old. You don't have that much time anyway. But I didn't say that. But I was like, <laughs> so, like, so go. 
yeah. or go, like, go, go book a ticket. Like, where do you want to go? When, you know, I'm always like, someone tells me to do something like I'm on, I'm right. I'm like, okay, yeah. good. what are we doing? How are we going to do it? When do you want to do it? Yeah. And literally she had no reason not to, she was seven years old, retired clocks running out. Always want to go yeah. to Spain. Like just go to Spain. And then yeah. she starts, then she tells me that she hasn't taken a plane since nine 11 and she's afraid to fly. Mm. And I'm like, man, that's a shame. That's just a shame. The terrorists win when that happens. Because all they do is they create fear. And now you're afraid of flying yeah. and you're not going to go to Spain. And that's too bad, you know? So yeah. I see a lot of time people want to do something. They've got some fear or, an- or another that just stops them. And that's too bad. And I hope, I hope you can fight through it and just do it. Because really, that's all there is to it. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a good quote that says, whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, either way, you're right. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, I, I think that, I think we've all been that person that let the terrorists win. Maybe not the actual terrorist, but the terrorist in your mind that says you can't do it. That little fucker in there that's like, dude, you, you, you can't do it. This will ha- bad thing will happen. You know, but it, I want everybody to know that, like, don't let the terrorist win, man. Like, you can overpower him. <laughs> That should be a t-shirt, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid of the terrorist man. Yeah. Yeah, it's the tyranny of of negativity that will overcome you if you let it. But it, it's a it's a coward. It's not strong. And if you face it, he'll back down and you'll feel better yep. for it. And the more you do mm-hmm. it, the more you beat up the bully, the more often the bully just becomes an ally and is like, Yeah, I was gonna say no, but just do it. Yeah, and people, that's why I'm really big on death awareness because we, we do it all the time. We make these decisions like we're just, right. we'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it next week. And then you end up pushing it down the road forever and you never do it. And it's a shame. You know, so since bringing up death awareness is, I think I read somewhere like the the way of the samurai or something like that is to wake up knowing that you're already dead. When you said you went to Japan and the culture was different, was there a different awareness of death over there? Like how does their idea of death differ from our idea of death or is there? Um, I don't know that I paid too much attention to their concept of it. They obviously have a very different religion. They oh. are, they've developed Zen Buddhism. So they're not all practitioners of Zen, but for, to some extent that Zen vibe permeates the culture where they're much more accepting of the good and the bad mm-hmm. and they're much more accepting of death in general and they've got this very detached attitude to a lot of things and they're very they're emotional but they don't display emotion so you get this you get this uh, what's the word impression that mm-hmm. everyone's really detached and just emotionless and you don't ever see anybody cry or anything like that so they um I'm not, I, I wish I had had the chance to go to a Japanese funeral, but, but I never have. They just, what I mean by them being different is their idea of relationships are very different from, from the West in that there's, a, everyone has a space that they're comfortable with between themselves and others. And their space is just a lot bigger than, than Westerners. They don't really touch each other. They... In, even in a professional setting, um, colleagues may work together for 10 years and not know each other's first names. And 
what they would consider there's so many times I learned that I was somebody's friend that I didn't know about because they considered me their friend or even a good friend. And from my perspective, I'm thinking, wow, I haven't really exchanged more than um, superficial pleasantries with this person and, and niceties. I wouldn't consider that really a solid friendship, but for them it was because yeah. they don't seem to have really deep conversations like we're having right now. It's very much a lot of things on the surface. And there's sort of a, a Zen-like quality to that, even if they're not doing it deliberately, because, well, what's the point of asking questions? It's just the way things are. And we maybe mm. we don't need to talk about certain things. Like, let's just accept things the way that they are. And nothing is really more important than my ta these tasks and getting this task done right now. I'm not saying we haven't had deeper conversations like that, but I think on a normal, normal basis, they don't have these sort of deep, what we call deep, relational emotional connections that we do and uh it surprised me even once i had this co-teacher and she was going to go visit her parents over the new year and it was a good i think she lived four or five hours drive away and i asked her when the last time she saw them was she said oh it's been about two years since i've seen them and i asked her just out of curiosity how are you going to greet them when you see them and she said, oh, I'll probably just like wave at them to her parents. And I remember thinking that that was, I remember being quite shocked by that. Yeah. And I thought, you mean you're not going to give them a hug or, or like a kiss or something? She's like, no, no, I would never do that. <laughs> because they have this respectful distance with their parents. And it's just very different from what we're used to and it can feel very alienating for a western person to live in that kind of a culture yeah. and actually before there was the internet they had actually problems with people like me on these assignments killing themselves because wow. they would be out in the sticks by themselves with no international phone and no internet and just the sheer loneliness would get to people it's a very kind of lonely culture man it yeah. It brings up two points. One, living in Hawaii, I I have learned a lot about cultures. You know, I, I'm I, I grew up in predominantly a white neighborhood and a Mexican neighborhood, and I learned I learned a lot. I learned some Spanish. I learned. You know what this means? You ever heard that before? That means run, white boy. You're about to get smashed. <laughs> that's what yeah, that really means yeah like you know there's this whole whistle language where i grew up and all these little gangster kids would i was like a little white kid running around so every time i heard that i'm like dude i better run fast i'm about to get beat up right here but when i came to hawaii you know i did not understand anything about tonal languages i didn't understand anything about talking to someone with direct eye contact and maybe using my voice a little bit louder to get a point across that could be really rude, be really disrespectful. And I didn't understand the whole point about hugging and being close and showing emotion like that. And so my daughter goes to a school here and there were some functions. I'm like, I'm a hugger, you know? So I'm, oh, hey, how's it? Bring it in here, you know? And like, I offended a lot of people, not only hugging people, but we would talk about things that, you know, I don't think twice about thinking about, but other people on the topic of relationships and, you know, between parents and other kids and stuff, 
you know, I was at some school meetings where I would say things that other people took a lot of offense to about um, obedience, you know, like, yeah, like I, there was a topic where we spoke about obedience and one, uh, a, a young Japanese lady is like, I want my child to be an obedient child. That's what I want. I'm like, that's the last thing I want. I want my kid to be questioning everything. How can you want you? Why do you want your kid to be so obedient? You want him to do what he's told all the time? You know, but I didn't understand. Like there's, you know, and I look back on it and I laugh, but because that's all you can do. But you know, there's translation culture. There's all these things get it's it's two different cultures, and obedient can be respectful, or obedient for me can be someone who's wishy-washy. And so it's interesting to hear me to hear you tell those stories about that because I've seen them in my life and I have crossed over the taboo of personal space on multiple occasions because I was unaware of it until I took some classes on different cultures and saving face and understanding the way people act and how people can be the the ugly American without knowing you're being the ugly American like you don't you don't understand that the second part is I recently read um, I was reading some Alfred North Whitehead and he was talking about the difference between Eastern thought and Western thought. And he said one of the things he found was the question, why? Like in the West, we're taught to ask, why does that happen? Why do they do that? Like, why is this the way it is? And like this concept of why is a Western idea where in the East, you know, you get back to the, you don't question them. You don't ask why you just do it because this person up here knows they're, they're the leader. They're respectful. They've earned it. You don't ask them why. And yeah. if you just take us some time to think for everybody listening, if you just take some time to think about the question, why, and how many times you ask it and why you ask the question, why, and what you, what can you learn? What have you learned from asking the question? Why? I think if you take time to think about that, then you will begin to see a lot of the dichotomies between the East and Western thought. It's, it's kind of a fascinating little thing to, to ponder for a while, but yeah. I, yeah. And there's a question of peace tied into it as well, because if question, you never question like the Japanese, they're about, they're about, like you said, they're more about the process rather than the results or they just want to go through the process, go through the motions. And like you said, pretty much obedience. And to, to the extent that we would experience sometimes what we would call bad customer service, because there were times where I'd go to a restaurant or a pizza. So let's use an example of pizza. Yeah. I wanted to order a pizza. I wanted a cheese pizza. That's it. They didn't have cheese pizza on the menu. They had cheese with pepperoni, cheese with peppers, cheese with mushrooms, all these things on top. And I tried to order... I try to explain, like, all I want is the pizza before you put the stuff on it. Like, just give it to me prior to that step. And they wouldn't do it. Never they, would. like, it was outside the process. They would not do it. And we look at that and we go, man, are they stupid? Like, why don't they just accommodate me or whatever? But from their point of view, they are taking the decision away from the consumer. You don't have to decide anything. You just have to pick one. Yeah. And that kind of permeates through society as a whole there where they don't have to question things they don't have to yeah. think about the why of course that makes me very obedient and obviously you can be manipulated but right. i'm curious anyone has ever had the ability to study thought frequency 
I'm going to guess that Japanese people think fewer thoughts on average than Western people do. And isn't there a kind of peace behind that? If you're, you're thought, you're blank, you're at peace in your head, you're not going all over with different options in the why all the time. You just kind of zend out. Look how much mental illness is in the West. Right? Yeah. Like the tyranny I mean, have, of decisions. They, yeah. They have a suicide problem there. Yeah. That, you need both, I think. You know, I, I it's I'm so biased because I'm from the West, but you know, it, it's weird how we romanticize it. Like you see Western kids or white kids running around with like kanji script tattoos on them. When you go to Japan, do they have like English words tattooed on them? hamburgers on them. That's so funny. Yeah. No, but they do yeah. the same thing over there. They romanticize a lot of the Western yeah. values. That, oh, wow. I wish I was as independent and, you know, I didn't have your own identity like you do in the West. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting to think about. And it, it, I think about it too, like, just like we have the East and Western different types of thoughts, like I think about we have the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. And the left hemisphere is like this analytical scalpel that wants to break everything down and be like, why, 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 why? And then the right hemisphere is like this understanding of larger concepts and sees the world in symbols and you know, there's this corpus callosum that connects them. And it, it just seems to me like we need some sort of corpus callosum to connect the East and Western hemispheres of the world in order for us to function and see the world the same. Interesting to think about. That's a great analogy. As with almost everything, the truth is in the middle, right? Yes. We in the West go too far one way, the East goes too far the other way. And, and maybe it applies you need to so many things in that middle way. That's what Buddha talked about, the middle way. Yeah. Yeah. If you get too far in one direction, you're, you're out of balance, right? Yeah. Cause everything is opposites, right? Good and bad, light and dark. The way to come close, the way to unify it is to sort of try to blend them together. I suppose it's, it's the yin and yang sign with the paisleys that have the dot, right? Like that, that yeah. to me is such a powerful symbol because it's, it's everything. The, the, the evil exists in the, and all that is beautiful, and then there's something beautiful than in that which is evil, and a little smidgen in there, you know. And they're going around in a circle, and yeah. Sometimes I think yeah. that the world of symbols, you know, that has to change. Like you said, that changes the way people think when you read the world in symbols. And the symbol for man is two people leaned up against each other or something, you know. To to read yeah. the world through those symbols is just to see the world different than to see it through script like we see it. That's why I think the Egyptian culture is so fascinating. Mm. The way they transmit information through symbols. I would love to be able to read hieroglyphics, but that's really trippy. Yeah. I wonder if there's anybody that can actually read them the way they're supposed to be read. I mean, I'm sure that there's Egyptologists, but it. yeah, like, cause it seems, you know, symbols can convey something that words can't. You know, and, and it, it may be a better form of communication if because if I say something to you, you have your own. If I say the bird flew over, you might be thinking of a blue jay, but I'm thinking of a hummingbird. And way too yeah. often people never define their terms. They just say a bird. So right off the bat, I say, oh, I have this crazy bird flew in my house. We've already gone. We've already gone 
two different ways right there. But if you see and I see a symbol and we understand what that symbol stands for, we might have an idea closer to one another. It might be a truer form of communication. In fact, I think it was, um, what's this guy's name? I think it was uh, Philo Judeus who said that the, the logo, the next logos will be a language to be beheld. And if you think about yeah. language that is beheld, I think of hieroglyphics. And let's face it, the pyramids, I don't even know if we could build those today. I, there's a real possibility that we are looking at a more advanced society and that we're just coming back from that. I, the more I read about history and the more I look at some of the star charts that were kept that are on the frescoes of temples all around the world, the more that I read like ancient Greek literature, or be it Plato or Sophocles or any of these things, I'm like, dude, these people were really freaking smart, man. It Sometimes it seems like we're not even close to them. And then, you know, if you read Timaeus, like they say in Timaeus that Solon goes and meets the Egyptians and he's talking, Solon's asking the Egyptians, how is it that you guys know so much? And the Egyptians are like, you guys don't know anything because you guys are so young. We've been around for, you know, 50,000 years. You guys don't even know who your great grandparents were, but we have all the records of all of that. Like if that's written down, if that's, that story is written down in Timaeus, like it's, that's written down. <laughs> and like, we don't go by any of that. We're like, yeah, that's just a story, just some story. Some Greek guy told like, that's probably much truer history than you know something written by scalinger patavius in 1500 like it's <laughs> it's crazy right definitely by this idea of thought forms and i just i just had a, a thought about that because remember we've yeah. we've shared stories uh, stories of psychedelic trips and yes meeting these entities whatever you want to call them and that's how they communicated with me was through thought forms. Yeah. And I've read recently a book. It's called the Holotropic, uh, Holographic Universe, it's called. Okay. And in that book, he uh, he's the, the writer is dis, uh, discussing near-death experiences of various degrees. And some of these experiences, they say the same thing, that they, they go through a tunnel, they go to some higher dimension, and they're communicating with beings in pure thought form mm. and that it's instantaneous knowledge like they they send one thought photo into the brain and it's like having an encyclopedia absorbed into your being all at once and that there was so much wisdom information like infinite amounts of it and that that's how they communicated and then you think about the future of humanity and stuff like Neuralink where we're going to link our brains up to each other. And maybe that's a better way as, as much as we want to oppose the idea of our brains being linked together. Wouldn't that enable such communication with time? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think that there's, there is, about. yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at the people that are building the future, you know, maybe, maybe like, you know, I have this idea that we're the aliens. Like I yep. think that, and if that's true, 
there's probably a hierarchy of it. Like, you know, if you read Zach, if you if you read Sitchin stuff, like Sitchin talks about us being created by aliens. Like, I mean, a lot of people think intelligent design is like God made humans, but another way to look at intelligent design is that we were made by people, by gods, like, but not Jesus or Jesus father, but beings like us that, that manipulated our DNA. And it's not that far fetched when you look at stuff like CRISPR right now, or even some of these MRNA vaccines, like the same way people have theorized we 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 back engineered UFOs to get stealth bombers. Can't we also back engineer maybe other types of beings to understand? Sometimes I think we're back engineering. Like maybe we have aliens. Maybe there are aliens, and we're trying to figure out how to. Oh, look! You need to have if you want telepathy, you have to be able to change your DNA. So you got to use this mRNA vaccine that'll change everybody's DNA. I just read this crazy book by Blake Crouch. It's a total fiction book. But in this guy's book, he's talking about a, a plague that breaks out that makes everybody smarter. Like, okay, and, 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 and Sitchin. So, so if you've, if you've read Zachariah Sitchin stuff, there's these two aliens. There's Enkidu and Elil that come down. And they, they create all these humans, and they do it by manipulating the dna of existing like monkey type people here and they and they make slaves to do all the work so they can harness the gold yada 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 but enkidu doesn't want the humans or the creatures he creates to become too smart he wants them to be like just dumb working slaves but his the the other person's like no man like if i'm gonna create something i'm gonna create something fucking badass i'm gonna give i i think we owe it to these people for them to be able to evolve. And so he creates, he injects into the genome a gene that will make the people eventually evolve. And it seems a lot like the story of the Garden of Eden, where it says, if you eat from the tree, if they eat from the tree of knowledge, they will become like us. Like that's a it's a similar story. And I don't know if people know this, but there's a there's a guy out of Harvard that was working at Wuhan. I think his name was Larimer. I think it was David Larimer. And he's the chief biotech engineer at Larimer Lab at Harvard. Everybody should Google this guy. He was with Fauci. He was at that lab. And he has like 25 patents for mRNA vaccines. I think, and this may be crazy, but I think there may be something to the idea that they are trying to make people smarter like they have created a vaccine that will change people's dna to allow them to evolve to a species that could be much better so this guy david larimer if he was in the papers for a blip hey who's this harvard scientist at wuhan boom he disappeared next thing you know the guy wins the he wins like the nobel peace prize everything all this all happening right now in the background He's like one of the most celebrated scientists in the world. People partying, popping champagne in the back for what this guy did. And if you read some of his patents, his patents are like for making the human being better. So if it was a lab leak theory, like maybe what this guy did was create something that's going to make everybody smarter. Maybe this guy created, maybe COVID, maybe that's what people are freaking out about. Is like, dude, you just released the goddamn virus. It's going to make everybody better. You know how much money we could have made off that? You know, and like, 
as crazy as it sounds, it's just as crazy as graphene. It's just as crazy as all these conspiracy stories. Like, why couldn't it be that? Like, maybe maybe it is humanity waking up. I kind of went off the rails right there, but thanks for letting me share that because it's kind of been in my head for a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, so, I lost you the last 10, 10 15 seconds. <laughs> nah, I just, I went off the rails, man. I'm talking about aliens and and dna and why not man why not but larimer lab that guy from harvard's a i should I'll, i should put his stuff in the show notes i'll try to do that it's it's a fascinating story man yeah but yeah yeah maybe I'm, the point is that we just uh surrender yeah we'll let the people uh do it enhance our dna link all our brains whatever i don't <laughs> think we can fight it anymore might as well embrace whatever this crazy evolution is that we're on yeah, maybe maybe it's what's maybe what's happening is supposed to be happening. People that have the most to lose are freaking well, out about it. That's one thing that's happening. That is happening. So it must be that. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the, right. It's whatever happens is right because it's what did happen. Yeah, it's this is it's supposed to. I, I think that sometimes, yeah. like, look, this is supposed to happen. You know what, for good or for bad, and who's to say what's good or bad? I mean, I don't know. I'm well, not those sure. Are just judgment. We don't know. There is no absolute, right? There's no what absolute. It's a great bad. Out to be oh, then you uh, you interviewed a guy with with uh, on this topic, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, I remember he, seeing that. Yeah, David C. George wrote a book called No Absolutes. We should do a panel sometime. What do you think about getting on with a couple people and having a conversation? Yeah, I was actually it's funny you mentioned that. I had that same idea. I thought I, I don't know how it works. I haven't used Streamyard to try to have multiple guests though. But if it works, I'm up for it. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna put something together. I got a. We're talking to so I many cool with, people. Yeah, I connected with one of your other um, guests. I forget his name. Ranga. Pandaman. Ranga. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Dude, that guy's super cool, man. He's. He's been going, he has, he's having his experience now of picking up and leaving everything he's ever left. Like he was, he was a mechanical engineer, was, was living in, in the, in the East, came to Canada to become a mechanical engineer. He's had some psychedelic experiences and this, he's like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be like a psychologist. Yeah. Just done and had the courage mm -hmm. to do it, you know, and, and. Man, everybody should watch that episode. Like, you can see so much life in that guy. That guy is just—I can see it permeating from him. Like, he's so excited about the stuff that he's doing, and it's—it's it's infectious, man. But yeah, I thought me, you, him, uh, David, and you know, I as as dynamic and awesome as all the conversations are, I've learned that the more we add to it, the more dynamic it can be. So, we'll do that. I'll set yeah, that whatever up. works. For you, I just unfortunately have got that time restriction due to the, the time zones, but I can do like from 8 a.m. to later, like yeah. almost every day. There are some days where I have work, but I mean, otherwise, I, I'm pretty flexible. Okay. Yeah. So, we'll yeah. definitely. If you find anything that, that fits in there, I'm, I'd love to do it. Maybe next Sunday. What do you think? Can you do a Sunday? Yeah, I should be here. Should, we should be fine. Okay. Nice. Yeah, because I got uh, a Saturday for you, right? So that'd be yeah, that's even better actually. Okay, because that'd be Monday for you. Your Sunday. My Sunday. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. 
All right. Uh, yeah, let's end that. Yeah, Kevin, what yeah, a great conversation, man. I, yeah, what a, yeah, it's a joy. I enjoyed hearing your story as well of, of the Hawaii. Thank jump. you, man. Yeah, it's fun. It's 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 very rewarding and it's rich, and I feel like I'm learning. And I I can't think of anything possibly better to do than to talk to cool people and learn and hopefully get other people to get excited and learn and take some chances and live a better life. Fucking egg. Just do it, people. <laughs> do it. Do it, you guys. <laughs> I promise you, if you do it, your life will be better and you'll thank yourself for it. The worst thing that happens is that you'll die, but you're going to die anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Don't let the terrorists win. <laughs> Don't let the terrorists win. That's cool. <laughs> so I got, right, I got, Kevin's, I got your uh, your link to your website below. Before we leave, is there anything you want to leave people with? Where can they find you? And you got anything coming up? Yeah, website below. Maybe some trips coming up, but no major news. I'm just chilling, enjoying life. All right. But yeah, All go right. to my website, kevinholt.me. In an hour and a half, if anybody's still here, uh, breathwork session on my Telegram group. So if you go into Telegram, Google Kevin Holt Breathwork Group. You'll see the group. Okay. At seven p.m. No, seven a.m. Eastern time. Hey, can you send That's me it. that link? Send oh, me yeah. the link, and I'll put it in the show notes. So that I don't have that link. Okay. Send yeah. me that link. Cool. I can have everybody do it. Okay. That's All what right. we got.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.